right. We're gonna do it the scan away. I'm gonna suck your brain dry. And we are back. Yes, here with the Mars Magazine podcast. This is Adario Strange here with Vic Song. And this week, we uh, actually, we're going to talk about uh, the latest installment of the Independence Day uh, franchise, Independence Day Resurgence, and what we thought about it, uh, how it relates to reality and science and technology. Uh-huh. Um, we'll get, we'll get, yeah, we'll get into that. But first, we want to talk about uh, some of the things that happened this week, some of the uh, interesting bits that came up on our radar. You had something on Star Trek? Yeah. Well, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about Star Trek in the last few weeks, but, you know, it, it, the Star Trek machine keeps chugging along. And this week, we saw the new theme song for the next upcoming Star Trek movie. It's called Sledgehammer by Rihanna. They also released a pretty cool, trippy video to go along with it. Um, I was not a huge fan of the song itself. What about you, Adario? I love this song. Okay, this so song? I, yeah, I, I love. Okay, so I am. I've never really been a big fan of Rihanna. You know, the whole auto tune stuff and just it's kind of like pop R and B, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I like her videos. She does great videos, but generally not a fan of her music. Mm-hmm. Um, I like her style. I like the whole, the swag, everything, you know, just her presentation is awesome. Just never been into the music. I have to say, this is like one of, I, I like this song. I, I, I like, I not only like the song, I like the video. I also liked the video. I thought the video was super artistic and it's actually, um, it was directed by Floria Sigismondi and she's this Italian Canadian director and she's done a bunch of videos for, um, you know, really famous pop stars like Justin Timberlake, Christina Aguilera. I think she also did one for Muse. Yeah, she did this video. And for those of you who haven't seen the video, it's, uh, well, Rihanna's kind of dressed up as an alien and she's doing like these really kind of funky hand movements. There's a lot of, um. Wait, wait, wait. How'd you feel about the alien, uh, you know, the alien face makeup? painting. Yeah. What did you think about she that? She looked, she looked very extraterrestrially out there, which I actually kind of liked because it worked. Yeah. It, it definitely worked. You see it more with Lady Gaga in terms of that kind of, um, makeup and presentation. And I don't think I've really seen Rihanna do a lot of that. You know, actually Sledgehammer grew on me because I listened to it about maybe like 10, 15 times. And the first four or five times I was like, eh, I'm not really into it all that much, but Wait. I, the first four or five times? Yeah. I think that's a hint that you might like it. I, that's kind of how I felt towards the 10th time. I was like, wait, I'm still listening to it. You know, it's actually kind of kind of catchy, and I think it works as a pop song. I just wasn't seeing the the connection to Star Trek outside of the video. Well, yeah, that's interesting, because when I was listening to the song, if I turn the video off and I just listen to the music, it sounds like a Bond song. Yeah, exactly. You know? So I, I just I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was like something she put together for like 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 you know she was trying to get a Bond song placed on a film and somehow it didn't work out so this was repurposed for this this, this there's never been a more Bond song ever I mean this is a Bond song yeah it's actually Rihanna Rihanna didn't actually write it it's penned by Sia which I found that interesting I'm not totally familiar with Sia's music, but... Um, well, yeah, and, and we're not familiar with her face because she likes to hide it, but that's another story. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but... Uh, and so, you know, I think part of the problem for me was that, like you said, it was kind of a more Bond theme song feel to it, but... Well, we got to see some new footage. I mean, that's like true. that, like to me, that jumped out. Like, we see new Enterprise footage. Now, I don't know if it was made specifically for the music video or if this is like some sort of outtake, but it was like high quality, like new in space Mm -hmm. 
enterprise footage that isn't just like it doesn't look like throwaway footage. It looks like some nice, beautiful, crisp, something that could have been in the film. The way they rolled this video out was first they uh, put out the preview, which told you that, OK, they think this is going to be a really big deal, because how often do you put out a preview to just a regular music video for a film? Mm-hmm. So they first they put out the preview, then the full uh, video. And the first thing I thought when I before I saw the full video, which I love, I love the song, love the video. Rihanna's awesome. Uh, I am in love now. Please, Rihanna, <laughs> if you're listening to this, love me. Um, I will be your geek. Uh, no, but the, when I just saw the preview, um, the first thing I thought was, and this is maybe I'm just obsessed with this, is the whole J.J. Abrams and Star Wars connection. J.J. Abrams, who's mm-hmm. executive producing not just Star Trek, but also Star Wars. And I just thought, you know, would he stoop to having a pop singer construct a song for Star yes. Wars? Yes, he like, did. He did. Did he? Okay. Force well, Awakens. Destroy me. Destroy me and break this down. Who so for did the this Force song? Awakens, because John Williams didn't want to write a Cantina song, he contacted Lin Manuel Miranda, who you know, Oh, you're talking but that wasn't like that wasn't in the there, that wasn't in the film, though. It was. It was in the film. And no, sung by Lin-Manuel or yes. Miranda? Yes, it really? was. Very brief snippet was okay, in the film. Okay, but that's not the same thing, though. That's but, like, isn't but, that like integrated within the plot or something? I know. But on May the 4th, as part of all the May the 4th uh, celebrations, they released it as a single. Yeah, so okay, but that's come on. We know that's not the same thing. That's okay, it's, it's an not... it's an it's in an alien language. It's in sure. the fabric of the Star Wars universe. I'm talking about having Adele, you know, pen a Star Wars a Star Wars song and get on the mic, like, you know, and the Force will let you go. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, really, that's you know what the heck I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, I come know, okay. on, man. Okay, you know, fair I mean, enough. It, fair it, enough. If he did this with Star Trek and it was like some sort of weird alien ballad with like sonic strings and. Uh, uh, okay. you know, a theremin or something, and just that's fine if it's integrated. This is like a pop song. This is a Bond song applied to Star Trek, and I know he would never do this with Star Wars. You're not going to see who was it, Lady Gaga or someone, you know, doing a power ballad of Star. I mean, maybe you will in the future, but so far we haven't seen it. And well, I don't know. I just think it's like another slight, another okay. hint, another piece of proof. That J.J. Abrams uh, doesn't take Star Trek as seriously as he takes Star Wars. Okay, so I have to ask a question. As a, as since you're the podcast resident Trekkie, is there a really kind of iconic Star Trek theme song or soundtrack? Oh, there's just been too many Star Trek films mm-hmm. and Star Trek uh, TV shows for me to confidently say no i so i have to imagine that maybe there's something out there that's happened i mean there's there may be one even in the reboot that i'm not thinking of um but this is just i don't know i'm sorry star wars does have the john williams uh soundtrack which is iconic in itself so maybe but it's not a pop song though that's true it's not a pop song but maybe they don't want to put a pop song because they already have the you know everyone knows how the star wars theme goes look when, when the roots do a Star Wars rap, okay, that is for Star Wars, that is like representing the film, then I'll back off of this, you know. Well, but we do it, have that Weird Al Yankovic thing that he did. But he's never sanctioned, so, I mean, he's always like a rogue element. Weird Al. But anyway, so all that said, I love the Rihanna song. Uh, the video's amazing. If you guys out there haven't seen it, see it. Um, it, it's basically like a tiny short science fiction film in a way. So yeah, so check it out. Rihanna Sledgehammer. She's awesome. She's beautiful. She's an alien. She has superpowers. She will mesmerize you. With that, we'll move on to another piece of news we heard about this week, which is that, uh, Lost in Space, a very old and, uh, beloved science fiction uh, series is coming to Netflix as a reboot. The Hollywood Reporter, they claim or they reported, confirmed that Netflix is uh, putting together a 10-episode run of a rebooted Lost in Space. So the original uh, ran from – it was a TV series, and it ran from 1965 to 1968. Um, so much like Star Trek, 
It had a very short original run many, many years ago, but the premise and the characters have staying power. Um, the original uh, series was created by Irwin Allen, very, very famous uh, television guy. And one of my favorite characters is Dr. Zachary Smith, who was played by Jonathan Harris. He's a... Uh, you know, kind of this kooky, he's the guy who kind of always gets the uh, stranded family in trouble. It's actually, so I I believe the premise is that it's a family, a spacefaring family who somehow, you know, get lost. Like, it, it's just like the title says, they get lost in space. And my memory of watching old reruns of the original TV show is that most of the episodes occur on some unnamed planet. And, you know, they can never get the uh, spacecraft to work again. And so they deal with various alien elements and characters that come to this planet. Um, and so that franchise or that that series was rebooted uh, as a film in 1998. And it was it starred uh, Gary Oldman, mm -hmm. Matt LeBlanc and William Hurt. And it was actually pretty good. It, it's it didn't uh, to my memory, it didn't do that well. And it isn't talked about a lot. But I thought it was like an, an interesting, uh, dark take on Lost in Space because the original Lost in Space is kind of like it's it's more comedy okay. than hard science fiction or anything in the realm of like a Star Trek where it's kind of like super serious issues. It's mostly comedy. So when they rebooted it as a film in 1998 and the film was like pretty dark, I think that kind of turned off some people who were expecting something different. So all that to say, it will be interesting to see what they do with the new reboot coming to Netflix. You know, are they going to take it uh, as comedy? You know, is it going to be dark? Do you have any connection to this franchise, to this property here? I know the phrase Danger Will Robinson. Oh, right. Yeah. That, so that's the, ro the robot. I believe it's Robbie the Robot mm -hmm. uh, from the original series. And Will Robinson is like the young son of the captain of the ship. Mm -hmm. And the robot is always there to protect Will Robinson. And when something happens, it's danger, danger, Will Robinson. And that's the phrase that a lot of people know. And a lot of people don't know where that phrase comes from. It's from Lost in Space. So so beyond that. Um, I remember when the movie came out, I just didn't go to see it. And so in terms of like the great pantheon of sci-fi franchises and TV shows and movies, Lost in Space is actually my gigantic blind spot. And I'm admitting that now. From what you described, is it sort of like a Gilligan's and Gilligan's Island in space type that's thing? That's not bad. That's not bad. That's that's pretty close. Wow. Gilligan's Island. That's super old school. So yeah, so <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, Gilligan's Island on a space or, or on a on a planet somewhere mm -hmm. in space, you know, where we do not know. Um, the reboot is supposed to come in 2018, so we we have a while to wait. But, you know, another very big, very beloved science fiction franchise is getting new life. I'd be interested to see if they take it in a darker direction. Because sometimes when we get a reboot of something that was a little maybe cheesy or lighthearted in the past, we kind of are in this era of anti-hero mania. It just gets a lot darker and grittier. Do you think they'll do that? or? My prediction is that they'll go the orange is the new black route, which is mm. comedy, like dark comedy. They don't want to lose the people who have like a connection to, even if, I mean, look, if you had a, a connection to the original series, you're, you know, probably, I don't know, in your 60s or 70s at this point. I mean, that's like a really old show. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it ran as reruns for a very long time. And it was a comedy. It was basically science fiction comedy. So I'm assuming they'll kind of, you know, not want to lose the comedy. But it is Netflix. And they do, you know, Netflix does tend to have an edge to its uh, original programming. I'm expecting something like that. Something maybe like an orange is the new black, mm -hmm. you know, dark comedy approach. But I mean, you know. We, we don't know who the showrunner is. We don't know who the actors are. So a lot of it is going to depend on that. I'll check out the new one. 2018, and hopefully it will live up to the original. Uh, next, uh, we speaking of Star Wars, Star Trek, old school franchises, a new bit of news came up this week that is kind of a callback to a recent Star Wars film, Star Wars The Force Awakens, you found something that was pretty interesting. So James Cameron came out this week and he 
basically said that he didn't think that J.J. Abrams' version of The Force Awakens was anywhere close to being as creative or original as what George Lucas did with the originals and even with the prequels. No, wait, 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 wait. Okay, this is, we're going to get in trouble here. So now, I've read this several times. Mm-hmm. That was the spirit of what he said, okay. but I actually have here his quotes. Oh, if, you're uh, right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, so, so let me read his quotes so we can be very clear about what actually happened. So what you just said is correct. That's the spirit of what he said. But here's uh, what he actually said. Um, I, I got it here from the express.co.uk. They did an interview or they quoted an interview with uh, with James Cameron. James Cameron, just for to refresh those out there, director of Terminator 2, director of Titanic, director of Avatar, very well-respected science fiction uh, director, just a, a giant in Hollywood. And he's currently working on a number of Avatar sequels. Um, his, his science fiction credentials are unassailable. He is, you know, a giant in Hollywood. Science fiction or otherwise, actually, you know, because Titanic wasn't really science fiction. Uh, so, quote, this is from James Cameron, quote, George Lucas is a friend of mine, and he and I were having a good conversation the other day about it, it being the film, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Quote, I don't want to say too much about the film. I also have a lot of respect for J.J. Abrams, and I want to see where they're taking it next. This film was more of a retrenchment to things you had seen before and characters you have seen before, and it took a few baby steps forward with new characters. So for me, the jury's out. I want to see where they're going with it. End quote. Because, look, I mean, none of that was like a direct, it sucks, you know, or he could have done better comment. But, you know, the jury's out. Well, no, uh, Mr. Cameron, the jury's not out. A full film was produced, directed, distributed, and, you know, it did well, at least financially, uh, the jury's not out. Like the jury has spoken, and the film is out there, and and a lot people, of people seem to like it. People love it, you know. Um, I think now that we've had a couple of months to marinate on how we feel about the Force Awakens, more people are coming out saying, you know, little nitpicks. Or and I don't want to denigrate it as a nitpick. Actually, like they're coming out and they're saying, well, you know, uh, some some popular criticisms is that Ray uh, the protagonist is too good at everything uh or that the plot line is basically a rehash of a new hope you know they're coming out and saying those things and they're having quibbles but by and large you know when the movie came out the reviews were overwhelmingly positive and everyone i know anecdotally at least enjoyed watching the film although you know a fair amount of sci-fi nerd friends of mine did want more from it and I guess I understand what he means by, like, wanting to see where they go. Because if the next film is just a rehash of The Empire Strikes Back, then I can understand being really kind of disappointed that you're not getting a new storyline or a new plot or just something new from it. But, but I wait, do- wait, 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 pause. That's exactly what it is. It's Isn't Rogue One essentially telling us the story of pre- uh, stealing the Death Star uh, plans. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that... I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of what it is, right? It is. I think you just called it. Yeah. Two things. A, I agree uh, with the shade Mr. Cameron is throwing. I, I do think it was just a retrenchment. But I want to dissect his comments. Um, mm-hmm. Two things he said here. Um, you know when you are talking to someone and let's say you're having a debate, like a friendly, you know, back and forth debate. And you say to them, no disrespect, but dot, dot, you know, and you say yeah. whatever you're going to say. It kind you know, usually that means I'm, I'm, I'm about to diss you, yeah. but you know, so he says, I also have a lot of respect for JJ Abrams and I want to see where they're taking it next. Well, when you have to say that, I think that kind of infers there's something else going on when you have to, you know, say, you know, say, I, I don't know, maybe I'm nitpicking too much on that. The other thing that I found fascinating about these quotes is that well, I'll just read it again. George Lucas, quote, George Lucas is a friend of mine. He and I were having a good conversation the other day about it. And then he just moves on and he makes his own comments. Well, I, I think if George Lucas loved this film, he would he might, you know, Cam, James Cameron probably would have said that. 
Yeah. You know, he probably would have, I mean, this, the whole thing reeks of, you know, two famous, very successful directors, you know, sitting over coffee or beer saying, man, that, that movie was caca. That was crapola. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, I mean, you know, he, he, he name checks George Lucas, but he doesn't say what George Lucas thought. He name checks James, JJ Abrams, uh, with the precursor of saying, I have a lot of respect for the guy. Uh, uh let's see what happens next. Well, that's I mean, why we got all these headlines basically saying that James Cameron was dissing the, the film right. or like, you know, throwing shade or some, some intense side eye at the film. And, you know, I think there have been a couple of rumblings that George Lucas wasn't necessarily happy with his level of involvement in the new Star Wars things that are coming out, which is to say his level of involvement is zero, absolutely not a involvement whatsoever. And that we've basically veered from that original uh, sci-fi space opera that he wrote back in the day when he was outlining, like, I think he at least outlined six movies or just like this whole uh, saga with, you know, the back when Luke Skywalker wasn't Luke Skywalker, but Luke Starkiller and all that sort of thing. So, you know, it, it kind of sounds like someone who's being a little put off that his advice wasn't asked going forward. George Lucas's opinion on Star Wars <laughs> at this point doesn't hold a lot of weight for me because I saw the prequels and, you know, I don't know what Hot. he's been doing in the year since the originals, but, you Hot know. The- steaming pile of poop. Okay, I think we're using poop and caca too much. We have to come up with some new adjectives. But um, you know, whatever he, whatever magic he had for those originals, were that was definitely lost in the prequels. So his opinion on Star Wars doesn't really strike me as that important at this point. But for James Cameron, who still clearly very much has his chops and very much uh is an impactful director. Uh, for him to make these kind of, you know, the jury's out. I want to see where it's going. Uh, I have respect for the guy. That's not a good, you know, that, that I feel like we basically got your opinion, uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Cameron. You're, you're not, uh, you're not a fan of the new film. Um, and frankly, I'm, I'm with him. You know, I'm just not, uh, someone who's made films that have made billions of dollars. So I think coming from James Cameron, it's a, it's, you know, it's a soft yet strong indictment against, uh, The Force Awakens that, uh, I frankly agree with, but, um, many Star Wars fans apparently don't. I like the film. I understand what that criticism is, and I respect that people feel that way, but I wholeheartedly love the film. So there you go. Speaking of films that need new adjectives to describe their uh, relative merits or lack thereof, we are now going to talk about the film we saw this week, Independence Day Resurgence. On this day in 1996, the world escaped the clutches of extinction. But in their sacrifice, we found the technology to build a stronger and safer Earth. Because our survival is only possible when we stand together. Oh my God. A distress call. Why are they screaming? They're not screaming. They're celebrating. They're coming back. We've got to remind them Earth is not for the taking. We convinced an entire generation that this is a battle that we could win. We sacrifice for each other no matter what the cost. And that's worth fighting for. It's the 4th of July. So let's show them some fireworks. So that's uh, the trailer for Independence Day Resurgence. Let's just dive right in. Okay. Welcome to Earth, Adario. Let's get <laughs> let's get sucker punched in the face. Okay, wait. Right. So, do do you know? I I didn't I didn't do um I wasn't a good podcast host. Did you do some research? Do we know who directed this film? Okay, so the director of this is the same as the director of the original Independence Day. So Roland Emmerich. Emmerich, uh, which is like, uh, well, you know, if you take Michael Bay and just tweak him a few degrees, then you get Roland Emmerich. He is the director of such disaster films as 2012 and The Day After Tomorrow. So this is, and you know, the original Independence Day, so this is, should be in his wheelhouse, but my God, 
What 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 garbage? Garbage. Okay, well let's let's set it up before we just rip it uh, or or talk about what it's really like. So, Independence Day, I believe, came out in the original came out in 1996. Yep. Directed by Roland Emmerich, I believe you said, and the big star from that film was Will Smith. It also starred um, Jeff Goldblum, Bill Pullman, uh, Bill Pullman as the president. Um, Vivica A. Fox, uh, uh, Judd Hirsch, Mary McDonald, President Laura Roslin from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, and so the original was kind of like a blockbuster summer movie, and I remember my reaction to the original was that okay, this is a popcorn movie. This isn't the greatest science fiction. A lot of stuff doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, such as oh, we're gonna take down an alien mothership with a an Apple MacBook or an <laughs> Apple uh, laptop. Yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. Um, stuff like that. Um, there's a scene in the original where Will Smith is in the desert and he literally punches an alien out. Uh, do you remember that? Yeah, and, and then just- he says, "Welcome to Earth." Oh yeah, okay, yes, that's what, so. I mean, that kind of stuff just really didn't play well for me but the spectacle of some of the special effects the white house blowing up that's yeah that kind of yeah that i think that's the first time we we'd ever seen anything like that on screen it had enough whiz bang to you know if you're a forgiving science fiction viewer it had enough whiz bang (laughs) for you to kind of you know maybe gloss over some of the deficiencies okay and all i can think is that the same Gimmies or the same, um, you know, forgiving things that the audience, uh, gave to the franchise. Maybe they were expecting that to happen now because this, the, I, this film seems to be just chock full of holes. Science fiction, there's a higher bar for science fiction now. Mm-hmm. And I saw this film and what my, the first thing I came away with this film was, uh, came away with from this film was this is why serious people tend to say they don't watch or read science fiction because of silly stuff like this. <laughs> um, really, that that's what yeah, I came away with. This this film, oh my goodness. So why, why don't you break down the plot? Like, so what's happening? So uh, Independence Day Resurgence basically picks up 20 years after the first film. And, you know, humanity has united under a one world government. Because as we've talked about on the show before, uh, nothing brings humanity together to put aside its petty differences like aliens coming and attacking. And, you know, various characters from the first film have gone on with their lives, done other things. The kids have grown up. And basically the inciting incident is that aliens once again come back to Earth to basically attack again. And um, actually we kind of get a setup that this is part of a bigger intergalactic war because there's another set of aliens that come and, you know, humans being humans, we decide to blast them out of the sky without um, realizing that it might be some someone who isn't supposed to be shot out of the sky and that sets off intergalactic war again as the same aliens who tried to conquer us in the first Independence Day movie come to basically destroy us again using the same plot device again. And it's basically the same movie again, except more boring. Okay. And so just to set up, set it up a little bit more. So in the 20 years since the original attack, apparently humans have not only come together, you know, in peace on earth, but they've learned to use the alien technology. So we've set up a, a base on the moon. Um, we have these spacecraft that like, you know, are definitely far more advanced than anything we have, you know, in real life. I remember when I saw that, it's okay, this is exciting. This is interesting. What other mm-hmm. little things are you going to show us that you learned from the alien technology? And really, you know, beyond, uh, this, the spacecraft and the space cannon that they mount on the moon, it doesn't seem like they learned much from the alien technology. I, and, so I want to break, I want to go down the list of things as they might relate to a real life, uh, kind of encounter with hostile aliens. But first, let's just quickly touch on a few things that are just completely fantastical within the film. Okay. First of all, and maybe you have an explanation for this that I missed. 20 years have passed, right? Right. Right. Okay. Right. So 
you go into the alien you have these aliens who are prisoners that you've kept prisoner right uh-huh how are they still alive what what, what were you feeding them like uh, did they did they not age did they like what what is the protein that we feed like how are they still alive it's 20 years do these aliens are these aliens immortal like are, i mean basically the way the aliens are treated in the film it's like they're robots like mm-hmm. when the when their cohorts uh, arrive Suddenly they, they, you know, pop into action like, oh, oh, the signal, the signal is, is back. And well, wait a minute. These are organic aliens and they treat them like they're robots. So that was silly. That's um, true. Did, did you see something that explained um, that, that I'm not getting? Well, they had a throwaway exposition line that I forget which character said was just like, oh, uh, have they always been like this for the past 20 years? And they're like, no, they've basically been in a coma for the past 20 years. That, that, wait, that leads me to my next quibble. That's perfect. That's a perfect lead in coma, the coma device. Brent Spiner, the kooky madcap scientist who comes up with like, you know, all the genius last minute, you know, uh, save scientific saves, uh, in this film, I don't, I don't remember the character's name, but it's Brent Spiner data from Star Trek. He plays the white haired professor in this film. He's been in a coma. From my understanding, if I, unless I have this wrong, for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, look, this is a mature viewing audience. This is, we, we know things now. The viewing public knows things. We have Netflix. We have Amazon. We have incredibly sophisticated, when I say Netflix and Amazon, I mean as networks. We have incredibly sophisticated TV shows that people are fans of now. You can't just throw simplistic stuff at us so when someone's in a coma for 20 years most of us know that you don't just jump up and start walking around okay and suddenly boom he's out of a coma and you know the alien signal is talking to him or whatever and he's walking around and he's hopping around and he's energetic no that's not how comas work that's yeah. not how the human body works, rather. Well, his muscles would have, you know, 20 years in a coma, his muscles would have atrophied to the point where he couldn't walk. Yeah, like, to put just... him in a wheelchair, at least give us, throw us a bone of reality. Yeah, that was, yeah. And, you know, um, there were a lot of bits where I feel like Emmerich tried to update to the social norms of the times. And he just, uh, you know, he made that character gay for this particular sequel. And now, Okay, he, I'm glad you said that because I was like... So I was paying attention to so much other mm-hmm. ridiculous plot stuff. I thought that's what I caught, but I, it wasn't clear to me. So that is okay. So that was his, I think it was the assistant that it was gay. Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't sure if that's what he was trying to explicitly state or with, with the film or he, if he was just trying to say that they were friends and, or whatnot was happening. And so I dug back into a couple of old interviews that he did went back when, you know, they were just talking about making Independence Day 2 and it was just a rumor and, and all that sort of stuff. So when he was talking about it in the development stages, he basically came out and said, and yes, there will be a gay character because Emmerich is also um, openly gay. Interesting. Okay. So that, oh, that's a nice nod. I mean, in terms mm-hmm. of contemporary, you know, making yeah. it contemporary. Well, but, but here's another thing. Okay. So they bring back, what, what's cool is they bring back a few characters uh, from the original. <laughs> and so we see Vivica A5. Look, just spoilers for this entire film. If you had plans on seeing this, don't. You're about to be spoiled. You. Well, you well, know, hey. Yeah. You're about to be spoiled is all I want to say. So they bring back Vivica A. Fox and they bring back Judd Hirsch, who is the father of um, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum's uh, character. They're both put in peril and they both supposedly die. Now, oh maybe I missed this. I'm pretty sure Vivica A. Fox just gets offed, right? Like yeah, she's she just, does. oh, she falls into like some, you know, the Will Smith stand in. There's a new character in the film who's not like an incredibly famous actor. Um, but he's kind of like the Will Smith stand in and, you know, in terms of being like a fighter and, pilot and badass. Yeah. And he's actually the son of Will Smith's character. Looks nothing like Will Smith or Vivica A. Fox, but you know, whatevs yeah <laughs> and he watches vivica a fox die a fiery and horrific death because of the alien arrival and best moment of acting in the film adario <laughs> no mom yeah exactly <laughs> and then the same thing happens to judd hirsch but this is this is something okay tangent here i have a revelation that this film brought to me uh-huh. the revelation is judd hirsch is immortal okay 
Two okay. things. First of all, so in this film, he gets, he looks like he gets killed, right? Right. He doesn't get killed. He emerges, you know, you know, none the worse for wear. And he like saves a bunch of little kids or whatever. Now, I just should say concurrently, I was also, I'm a fan of the Marin uh, TV show, Mark Marin, mm-hmm. uh, very famous podcaster, comedian, stand up comedian. He also has, has a TV show called Marin. And on that TV show, Mark Marin's father is Judd Hirsch. And in the latest episode, Judd Hirsch is like bounding up and down stairs and hopping out of cars and running around. <laughs> and I said, hold on, hold on. Judd Hirsch has to be like really, really – how old is this guy? So I look it up. Judd Hirsch is 81, Vic. No. This guy's 81. This guy's immortal. He Dude. has more pep than you and I, okay? This guy is immortal. Good genes. Yeah, so I expect to see him in a number of other reboots for at least the next 20 years until the ruse cannot be kept up anymore and he has to kind of rename himself so no one realizes that he's actually immortal. Um, Judd Hirsch, immortal. Anyway, so uh, other stuff in uh, Resurgence. What, anything that, you, that stuck out for you? The new alien spear thing that comes out. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> like, it's just like Wait, this- what's with that, the little uh, vulnerable voice? Oh, we came to help you. I mean, what, what, it, you know, <laughs> and... And then suddenly it's this first, it's this powerful orb that is like ominous and scary and all powerful. And then in the next sentence, it's like this weak little baby that must be protected by human humanity. I mean, it's, oh man, uh, just, I mean, I, at first I thought it was a MacGuffin. Okay. But then yeah. they gave it intelligence. And then the other thing that didn't make sense was, you know, they say, uh, one of, one of the plot points was, you have to stop the queen because the queen, if the queen gets a hold of this orb that is like, okay, we're not explaining it. The, uh, okay. So when the first alien contact is so convoluted, the first alien contact happens on Earth's moon where we now have a base mm-hmm. and we mistakenly think it's the aliens who have come back again to, you know, hurt us. And in fact, it's an, an ally. This is an alien race or representative, a drone representative of an alien race come to help us. We shoot it down, and I think the wreckage or a piece of it, you know, like a, the the core of the drone uh, is transported to Earth, and mm-hmm. then we manage to communicate with it, and it tells us that there is uh, a refugee outpost for people who have been, you know... Uh, Destroyed by yeah, dis- yeah. Dis- their planets have been destroyed by these aliens, and we came to warn you, and blah blah blah. You know, here's the thing, though. At the end, at the very end of the film, we're told by the you know Brent Spiner, kooky scientist. Oh, there, this you would not believe the amazing technology and weapons this thing can take. Well, wait, hold on. If it has all this amazing weapon technology information, where well, why didn't it just defend Earth? If it's that, if, if all this information and technology it contains is so badass, why didn't it just, why did it need our help to protect it from, and okay, and then they stole something from aliens. They stole something from aliens. The, the queen alien, once she realizes she's up in her ship, once she realizes, oh, wait a minute, they've got the orb, which represents the refugees, and that could like, you know, change the balance of power or whatever. She gets out of her spaceship and puts on her mecha suit or whatever, and kind of, I'm going to get down on Earth. I'm going to handle this myself, damn it. I mean, that's straight out of Aliens, you know, with Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm sorry. I just got to cut to the chase. So she comes down. She gets her ass kicked. And then, as though she's a robot, all the fucking ships that were attacking us fall out of the sky because without the queen, somehow, these other things just... You know, they can't operate. But then at the same time, once those drones are all these fighter ships, which I, I'm presuming have aliens in them, once they fall out of the sky because the, the queen has been defeated, the giant mothership on autopilot, some lowjack. Now, remember, this ship came from another unit. Like this, did, it wasn't like on Saturn. It came through a wormhole of some sort. Some Intergalaxy Lojack calls the ship and says, Oh, okay, Queen's dead. 
you know, lift off the planet. Come, come on back to where, what the heck? No, no, this is insulting. <laughs> this film was insulting. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I'd get this worked up about it. Well, it was, it was insulting because it was also incredibly boring. Like this is supposed to be a popcorn muncher, a, a blockbuster where it's supposed to be dumb fun where, you know, things explode and you don't think too hard about what's going on, but it was incredibly slow. It was a really long movie. I think it was at least upwards of two hours. And we don't get to the to the fighty, shooty, you know, space battle stuff until like the last, I want to say last third of the movie. By which point, you know, I had almost fallen asleep multiple times. It was it was pretty rough. Are there any other plot points that stood out for you that were just like, I don't know, beyond the pale? I thought the blatant uh, marketing ploy to grab at Chinese audiences was pretty, you know, in your face and annoying. Chinese milk on the moon. Yeah, Chinese milk on the moon. They uh, The female Chinese... Uh, fighter pilot. Uh, yeah, Baby. She, what's her real name? Is Baby something? Her her stage name is Angela Baby. Yeah, Angela she, Baby. She's uh, a star over in China. And it was just, you know, just when I was watching the film, I was like, am I being too harsh? Are they just, or is it just going to be this type of, you know, what they're trying to say is that this is a one world government now. And, you know, to be fair, uh, China does have its own space program. So it's not out of like the realm of possibility that they would be one of our big partners uh, manning the moon. Yeah, but I mean, come on, this screamed Chinese investment. But, but I have the numbers to prove it. So, uh, you know, uh, the movie did not do well in the US market, but it did very well in China where it scored 37.3 million in its debut. My last look at the numbers, so the budget I believe was 165 million mm-hmm. and I think the US haul was something like 55 million and like worldwide they've broken even. Like if you just take all yeah. the ticket sales worldwide it's like something like 160 million something like that. You know, but here stateside, it's being looked at as a bit of a flop because I think people expected bigger, bigger numbers. But, you know, come on, you didn't have Will Smith and no. this was sloppily done. But let's get back to the Chinese thing. Chinese milk on the moon, mm-hmm. uh, Chinese captain. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, uh, unrequited love between a uh, Chinese female fighter pilot and geeky nerd American guy. Oh, no, 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 no. As in all movies, he's earned her love by the end by, uh, well, she won't kiss him, but she agreed to dinner with him. So Exactly. You know. So would, mm-hmm. would that have been like a bridge too far for the Chinese viewing audience if he actually like uh, made out with her like any other American movie character? I don't I don't know why, but maybe they wanted to, to make her seem like she was, you know, you know, just just being generous because that that was I don't the whole Chinese influence. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's cool to kind of, you know, go more international. Yeah, it does bug me when I see a science fiction film. The aliens always come to the U.S. The aliens right. always focus on Americans. And it's kind of like this kind of default assumption that we're more important than everyone else. So I like international you know, plots where you kind of mix all the countries together. I, I, but it just kind of just stood out a bit more in this case because it, it, there was no one else. There was, where were the Russians? You know, where were, right. where was the European Union? Uh, hashtag Brexit. Uh, <laughs> where, you know, where, where were the rest of the, 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 where was the rest of the world? It was just America and China, you know, as badasses or whatever. Right. Um, and they did this a lot better in the original movie because there are scenes in the original movie where all the satellites have been taken down. So the only way that we can communicate with other countries to launch this, uh, international, like, cooperative counterattack is through Morse code. And, you know, there's, there's flashes of, of, of us Morse coding the, the, uh, Russians, the Israelis, the Japanese. Like it was, it, there was a bigger international focus in the first film. And I actually was looking online about it and it actually caused up a little bit of a firestorm in the Middle East because they did show cooperation between uh, Middle Easterners and Israelis in the first film for like half a second. Yeah, I mean, one thing, speaking of like Middle East and just whatever, maybe, you know, just bringing Africa into it. I did like the plot point of I think he was an African Mm -hmm. military guy. 
Um, and he kind of talked, he gave this backstory of how, you know, we learned how to fight them because mm-hmm. they were hunting us. So we had to hunt them. And because of that, we learned some of their language or whatever. That was actually kind of interesting to me. And I kind of, yeah, like I, I felt like they kind of, um, they missed an opportunity to mm. make things a bit more real by delving into that a bit more. And there is a payoff, you know, with that. There's just one moment where, you know, the the prisoner aliens uh, get loose for a second and he kind of does the thing that, yeah, you're supposed to get behind him and he takes one of them out or whatever. They tried to shoehorn a lot into a film. Yeah. And, you know, the end result was that it just felt incredibly bloated and yeah. just self-important. And then the emotional beats that you're supposed to have, they just, I was laughing in the theater. I rarely laugh out loud in theaters when they're not supposed to be comedies. Cause I, you know, someone put a lot of effort into it. I think it can be a little disrespectful to other people who are enjoying the movie, even if you're not, right. but that movie, I laughed out loud. Like, so I mean, just- in, in the realm of if this kind of thing really happened, which of course it wouldn't. Let's just take it back to the original, I, mm-hmm. you know, Independence Day uh, film, uh, because this this sequel just is just too too much implausible stuff. Going back to the original, mm-hmm. what, what do you? Did you, you have any thoughts on how that might really play out? So um, when you're looking online for for like any information regarding that type of stuff, you'll get a lot of uh, tinfoil hat websites. But I did find a couple of things here and there. Granted, they're a little they're a little older, but in 2013, uh, Russia Today, which is uh, a Russian news organization, they published this story where apparently a journalist asked uh the they asked this politician or a uh, guy named Sergei Beresnoy and he is the guy in charge of the Titov main test and space system control center now this place controls uh supports um purportedly about 80% of the country's satellite fleet and both military and civilian and they asked him would they be prepared to handle an extraterrestrial security uh you know, situation. And he said, and I'm quoting this uh, article, so far we are not capable of that. We are unfortunately not ready to fight extraterrestrial civilizations. Our task, our center was not tasked with it. There are too many problems on earth and near it. So supposedly the Russians are not ready for an extraterrestrial. I mean, what about China, America? So uh, in terms of America, I actually found a foreign policy article from 2012 uh, where they try and answer that question. And it's called uh, Battleship Earth. And they get into a bunch of technologies that the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, which is better known as DARPA. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Bringing you Terminator robots and AI that will enslave humanity since the 60s. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) And the internet. And the internet. But some of the the technology that, and granted, this is an article from a few years ago, so, you know, who knows how up-to-date that is, but some of the things that they were at least working on are things like high-energy liquid laser area defense system hell lads, which is basically a really fancy way of saying super-duper lasers that could, quote-unquote, harness the speed and power of light to counter multiple threats. So apparently we're working on lasers that could potentially uh, shoot things out of the sky, also hypersonic aircraft. And so ostensibly, I think we are working on technologies that could work with it. But unless we have a global cooperative you know, network in place where we're training together on the world, because like you said, who says the aliens are going to come to the U.S.? Well, you know, what's interesting, so the code conference that happened a few weeks ago that uh, had guests like uh, Elon Musk and um, Jeff Bezos, you know, talking about AI and space travel, they had another guest uh, who was pretty interesting that I think went a little bit under the radar, uh, John Podesta, who's like a politi- uh, political guy who is involved with the Clinton campaign. They asked him, do aliens exist? And do you have, you like have, well, because he's been in the inner circles of, you know, he's had high security clearance. Uh, and, you know, and, and, you know, you imagine that, you know, being with regard to Hillary Clinton, you know, she was, mm-hmm. uh, the first lady, secretary of state, 
Uh, she was a senator, and you know, so she has, has pretty high security clearance. And you know, Podesta's pretty close to her. So they asked him. I don't know how this came about. I just watched the the clip just based on it. And for some reason, this question came about, and he devoted. It was odd. It was. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna say flat out odd how much time he devoted to the question of aliens. And Podesta basically. You know, not that he's a scientist or anything, but, you know, just it's of note that he said, yes, I essentially he said it seems inconceivable that aliens aren't out there. And as to whether or not we've been contacted by aliens here on Earth, you know, he seemed kind of the jury's out on that. Like he he didn't seem to have like a definitive answer on that, which I found odd. So I just bring that up because this whole thing, the you know, the whole Independence Day franchise is kind of based on this notion that right. you know the president and area 51 just if you're a conspiracy theorist you think oh well maybe there's been previous contact and maybe we're somehow prepared but independence day kind of argues that you know no matter what you think about the government no we're not prepared and we get our asses handed to us and the only way out might be you know pure luck yeah which is what i think you call disabling an alien mothership with a macbook you know, or an Apple <laughs> laptop that, you know. Uploading but, a virus into their mothership as if they don't have their own internet security protocols yeah. or something oh, that, like that. Completely just, I've, I've, there's something I forgot to mention uh, when we were just talking about just the fiction parts of the film. Just, I'm sorry. There's certain lines that, so you started off by saying, what was the Will Smith uh, phrase you used? Welcome to Earth, punch. Right. Okay. And so the stand in for Will Smith in Resurgence, his son, he's fighting the aliens and he's in the, in the fighter jet and he's like, you know, he's winning and he says, get ready for a close encounter, bitch. And this is him fighting the alien <laughs> queen. So now aside from alien misogyny, I just thought, okay, well, and it was also a callback, I guess. So the first suppo- well, it was supposed no. Well, it was supposed to be like a veiled callback to Close Encounters of a Third Kind. Do you know that film? Yeah, but they actually like it's also a callback to the first Independence Day because there's a bit where Will Smith in the first one, like I think he's just downed uh, an alien, like after he punched it and after he said "Welcome to Earth," he turns around and he says, "No, that's what I call a close encounter," or something along those lines. Oh God. So it's even worse. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's, so it's a callback to a callback to a callback. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I just thought, you know, just quit, just quit, <laughs> just, just stop, stop. I was done. I was already done at that point. But when that happened, I just, I, when I heard that line, I just thought, this is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. Uh, there was a lot of embarrassing dialogue in that film. Yes. As, as an American science fiction lover, I am embarrassed for us. Th- look, there's not much to delve into here. It's very unrealistic. The original, and maybe I think you saw, you watched the original, you kind of refreshed the original original recently, so maybe you have more information on this. Mm-hmm. But the original seemed like they just wanted our planet, whereas in this one, the, the sequel, Resurgence, apparently they wanted our core the Earth's core, which makes no sense because I don't see what energy, what power you can get from the Earth's core that you couldn't get from a billion other planetoids with or without life. Like, if you don't need what's on the surface, you don't need human life, you don't need the trees, you don't need our atmosphere, you just need the core. It's hard for me to imagine that that doesn't exist in some similar form in any number of other planets. So that just... So, when when that, that I, I was lost on that. Yeah. So in the in the original film, uh, there's a bit where you know uh, Bill Man, Bill Pullman's character gets psychically attacked by one of the aliens, and when he comes out of it, you know, in a in a really stellar plot device, he's like, "I've seen their plan during our psychic connection, and they're going to strip our planet of all its natural resources." And they did, you know, kind of drill into the planet, not. As blatantly as 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 a plot point in the uh, in the the second film, but they did they did state that the aliens' purpose was to come and just strip our planet of its natural resources. But they seemed to say, or it seemed to imply that they wanted more than just the molten core. They said all of our natural resources, in which case it would make more sense, I guess. Right, but that would make way more sense than just going for the core. So the, the you know. We, I can't, uh, in good conscience, recommend the film. 
Uh, if you want a bookend, you know, like, well, okay. Speaking of bookends, oh. so they hint at a sequel. Right. To this, to this sequel. Just, they, just after I said, I think we've covered all things. <laughs> we, we both arrived at it at the same time with, with our mind the meld. Yeah. The, the horror. horror of ending the, I, as soon as the movie was like, the end was coming up, I was like, Oh, thank God I can go home. <laughs> and then they're like, we're we're being invited to the resistance planet, and then uh, baby Hemsworth is like, baby Hemsworth. Sign, where do I sign up? Wait, 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 wait. Pause. Wait. We got to rewind for a second. Baby Hemsworth, Liam Hemsworth. Look, you yelling every time you shoot at someone in your you know spacecraft or your fighter ship. That's not selling me, bruh. I'm not. I'm not. That doesn't help me believe. What is with every time the guy, rah, and then I think toward the end, like there's a female pilot. I think maybe she's connected to him somehow. Maybe, maybe love interest. I can't, I can't remember. Oh, but then she, daughter. Okay. Yeah. She does it. She goes, rah. And I'm like, you know, really, there's no effort required to push the button. (laughs) You're not lifting (laughs) a heavy weight. You know, you're not like, you know, your lats aren't being strained. What is this primal yell coming? So I guess that was like, I get maybe Liam Hemsworth realized that the material was weak and the only thing that he could use, you know, to help it seem like he was, you know, acting or emoting was this primal yell as he pushes a button. Okay. You know, anyway, I'm done. No more Liam for me. Liam, can, can you produce? Can you direct? Can, can we get something else? Because I'm good. I'm good on the Liam Hemsworth. I, I'm off the train. I was disappointed, actually, because you mentioned uh, his love interest. The His love interest, uh, who plays the daughter of uh, uh, Bill Pullman's character, is played by uh, Micah Monroe. And I really liked her in uh, It Follows. She was the protagonist in that Oh, film. she was in that? Oh, wow. She's okay. the main girl in that film. Wow. Okay. I love that film. Wow. Well, I love that film too, and I watched that, and I was like, "You've fallen so far, <laughs> so wow. far." Well, we now we now know who was following her. It's a primal yelling baby Hemsworth. Was <laughs> that's the embodiment of what was actually following her, and uh, it follows. Anyway, so yeah, so they hinted that there's going to be a sequel. Uh, we're now going to take the fight to them and kooky uh, Brent Spiner. Uh, you know, kooky scientist Brent Spiner is like, yeah, you know, now empowered with these, uh, with this data from this soft, cuddly alien drone orb, uh, we will now take the fight to them. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the freaking one ship came and what was the size of the United States? It covered an entire ocean on the planet and that's one of their ships. Yeah, we're taking the fight to them. Please, I implore you, producers, don't make a sequel. This or, this is not. Or if you are going to make a sequel, how about you do it in another 20 years? Because it took 20 years for this sequel to come out. I could maybe, maybe, maybe go and see it if it's in another 20 years. But if it comes out, no. No, just don't do it. Just don't do it. I take that back. Hard that's pass. Awful. Hard pass. So uh, the only thing I, I'll take away from this is this. Hopefully... If aliens do come to Earth, and if they are hostile, hopefully we're as amazingly, amazingly lucky as the characters in Independence Day, where MacBooks and (laughs) weird, you know, just happenstance chances allow us to defeat an opponent that is far advanced. Um, Hopefully that's the case, and hopefully we're just lucky uh, I doubt that would be the case, but, you know, I guess the film is something to give us hope. Uh, w- one other thing. Are you in or out on more uh, Chinese-invested films? I'm okay. out. We're already having a Tetris sequel, which is Chinese-invested. I'm out. I mean, what's the problem? Do you think that's, like, influencing the material too much? I mean... It just feels a little branded content-y from, uh, from like, Hollywood. It's just... I don't like that you can kind of see where if you put in uh, a Chinese actor just to draw to the Chinese audience, that doesn't feel authentic as a character per se, or it just, it it just seems too blatant for me to see the business end of it. I don't want to 
feel the business end of it when I'm watching the film. If you have, if it's integrated in a nice way, and I don't really like, it doesn't stand out to me, then whatever. But you know, Chinese milk on the moon, that kind of, it, it, it glares out at you. And I don't want it to take me out of the story. Culture as branded content cannot be our science fiction future. Good point. And with that, we will call an end to this episode of the Mars Magazine podcast. This has been Adario Strange with Nick Song. And we will see you in the future. <laughs>